Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelding with another great show for all of us who aren't old, we're better. My guest today is Anna Sale. Many of you will know Anna Sale from her work on the WNYC radio show and podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. Anna Sale describes her show, again, Death, Sex, and Money, about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. Anna Sale began talking about hard things when, from 2010 to 2013, she reported on politics for the WNYC radio show, The Takeaway, while covering Anthony Weiner's second sexting scandal during his destined-to-fail mayoral campaign, Anna Sale, who at age 33 was newly divorced, thought that a new show where people would be given room to talk about hard things that had shaped their lives might be a great show idea. Anna Sale heard herself say the words, death, sex, and money, and the show took shape and gathered steam. After debuting at the top of the Apple Podcasts chart in 2014, Death, Sex, and Money was named the number one podcast of the year by the New York Magazine in 2015. Anna Sale won a Gracie for Best Podcast Host in 2016, and the show won a 2018 Webby for the Best Interview Show. Anna Sale has written a new book titled Let's Talk About Hard Things, which is her empathetic debut If you're a fan of Death, Sex, and Money or new to Anna Sale's work, you'll find, like I did, that the book is a familiar guide to talking about the important stuff of life. It is excellent. Anna Sale and I talk about connecting again for all of us after COVID and what it means to do so after lockdown and isolation. We talk about what Anna Sale learned while writing the book and doing her show, and importantly, about the state of our country and why it's so important that especially now we talk about hard things. As a special discussion item, please stick around to the end of the show when Anna Sale and I learn of the jury verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial while live during our interview. This is great stuff from Anna Sale. You'll hear her commentary in the moment. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show journalist, author of Let's Talk About Hard Things, Anna Sale. Anna Sale, welcome to the program. Thank you. It is great to talk to you. Um, like so many, I'm, I'm a huge fan of you and, and your WNYC death, sex, and money. <laughs> you have this great way of... No, thank you. Of course, really. It's just a, a wonderful program. You're very curious and kind at the same time with your guests. And, and, and I will tell you, as a podcaster myself, it's been this real kind of graduate course almost for me to um, listen to you and listen to the program and... Hmm. Uh, just pay attention to how patient you are. You you have this great pause when you you ask questions and wait for answers, or perhaps even in between questions and answers, and and you just ask these great sensitive questions. So we're gonna we're gonna have a great interview today. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I I think many of my audience certainly. Um, older generation, kind of 60 plus age, we're all kind of thinking about this idea of connection again, certainly right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe family has not been together, particularly grandchildren. You know, we're all feeling a little isolated. So maybe tell us how talking about hard things is going to kind of make connection easier. Well, you know, I think about talking about hard things as um, the choice is really like do we acknowledge that hard things exist or do we not acknowledge it? Um, so it's, it's, and so my book is sort of a call to say, if you invite in a conversation with someone um, in your life, 
where you're acknowledging some of the uncomfortable stuff um, and being curious about what's going on in their life. When you sort of enter into a conversation without that mode of like, I'm going to give my report and wait for them to give their report, but instead say like, oh, this is what I'm going through right now. And I don't have any, I don't have any way to fix it. It's tough, you know, or I'm having a hard time with this. When you have that kind of conversation, like it creates connection in a different way than when you're sort of exchanging reports back and forth, because you're, you're inviting someone in to sort of hear what you're struggling with, or, you know, you are able to show up for someone you love, um, in that sort of role of, of just offering care, not problem solving, just being there to listen. Um, and I think, you know, all of us have lost something over this last year plus of living in pandemic, like, and some of us have lost a lot more than others. And all of us are re-entering a changed world. Um, and so there are a lot of hard things to figure out how to talk about, you know. Um, so I think it's sort of what what the book is is to say, like when you when you try, when you say, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel a little bit uncomfortable maybe acknowledging something that I've been having a hard time with with someone in my life. Um, when you try, when you when you have that vulnerability, share that vulnerability, it, it really does sort of reinforce something really special about your relationship with the person you're talking to. You're letting them in in, a, in, a, in an important way. I think we do naturally share, too. I think we, we like to share. And certainly, uh, Death, Sex, and Money offers just this wonderful, candid discussion and conversation led by you. The book, of course, is titled Let's Talk About Hard Things. How did one kind of influence the other? Did you just immediately know that this was just perfect for a book? Did you have to kind of think through some of what to write about as a result of some of the conversations you had on the podcast? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I actually came to, I mean, the 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 origin story of death, sex, and money was that I was a news reporter in a public radio newsroom and was covering politics primarily and just kind of doing, you know, conventional news gathering. Um, and I, I sort of reached a point in, in that beat reporter career where I kind of just was feeling like, huh, feels like there's a lot of the human experience that I'm leaving on the table and not exploring in my journalism. And I wonder what will happen if I make a show where I say, we're going to talk about the stuff that we don't often talk about in public conversation. Um, and we're going to do it in a way that is inviting, you know, it do it in a way that's not like kind of like, um, you know, just needlessly provocative, but instead in the spirit of like, all of us are going through a lot of stuff when it comes to death, sex, and, you know, our relationships and family, how, what we do for work and how we're surviving and how stable we feel. Death, of course, is about that all of these things really matter because we only have so much time together. Um, and so I wanted to build the show around the idea that these are important things to explore together, to share around together. And then I started doing interviews around that. The podcast started in 2014. And then I was really surprised to, to find that um, when people would ask me about my work, you know, the, the number one question I always get was, how, 
how do you start a conversation about death, sex, and money? How do you make someone feel comfortable opening up about this stuff? And I realized I didn't have the words to explain how I did it. <laughs> you know, it was like sort of an intuitive practice for me. And so I wanted to, the book became a sort of, um, a way for me to reflect on what is it I do? You know, what what are the conditions that you can create to have a real, a different sort of conversation that gets into some of this stuff that some of us, you know, a lot of us don't have a lot of practice talking about. Um, and then also to kind of make the argument for these kinds of conversations, um, not just like in journalism, in the field of journalism, but also in our personal lives. And I will tell you, personally, it is more challenging to talk about hard things with people I love than it is to talk to strangers on a podcast about it. <laughs> so I wanted to acknowledge that. Um, so part of the book is also, you know, has some memoir components where I talk about where I really did have to learn some hard things um, about how to talk about money and commitment and relationships or um, what I wanted uh, and how to make it happen. Um, all of that took a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. You also say that there was some fear involved that, that you have this really great quote about this subject, you say hard things really produced a, a, a great deal of fear about breaking apart the rest of your life and that hard things takes courage to kind of discuss. So for those of us who might be just plain fearful about this process, what do you suggest to help us start this conversation with our loved ones and, and with others in, in our lives? I think it's I think it's sort of reflecting on um, what are the parts of you that um, that you sort of notice that you haven't said out loud to someone who you really love? Like I'm thinking, you know, I have a lot of older friends uh, who've spent a lot of the last year on their own. Um, and I want to know how they are. Uh, and, and a lot of my friends are also strong, proud people. So it is not um, a natural instinct of theirs to say, I'm feeling really lonely right now. Um, but I found when we do, when we do have encounters, whether it's on the phone or a Zoom call, um, and we both sort of meet each other with some curiosity, like, what has this year been like for you? When was it hard? You know, what was it, what did you find when you were on your own um, that, that, that was hard about it? And, and, you know, what were the surprising things that you did that, that gave you comfort? Um, you know, how do you feel? Uh, how's your health been? You know, just, just starting with sort of very curious, open questions um, can kind of create that environment where you're going to share something more than than you know um, you would otherwise. Um, and then uh, you know um, there are also hard conversations where it's something that's tugging at you that you can feel is unspoken that you need to bring up. Um, and in those kinds of hard conversations, I think it's all about you know the way to start is reaching out and saying, saying, you know, I've been thinking about something that I want to talk to you about. It's important. Um, there's now a good time. And, and something like that to signal, I want to have a different kind of conversation with you. I don't just want to have the regular kind of catch up conversation. I want to, I want to talk about something a little bit, um, a little bit different. Um, and, and when you do sort of signal, I want to go in this different mode with you, I find 
whether in an interview context in my work or even, you know, in, with, in conversations with my spouse, with my husband, it just slows everything down. Um, and, and each of you are sort of a little bit more prepared to listen and to dig in a little bit more. Yeah, I noticed in the book that listening is a real big part of this. I what what was it that surprised you about this subject? Because listening kind of, I thought to myself, it takes the courage to to talk about this stuff, but it, it takes some courage to listen to this too. And so I wonder, what were you surprised about? One of my favorite stories in the book is a the book's divided into five chapters of hard things because there are a lot of kinds of hard things, but but I focus on death, sex, money, family, and identity. Um, and one one section about listening that I have reflected on a lot as a parent is I interviewed a woman who she raised six kids and was a really kind of firm parent on her own. Um, and she really struggled with how to be a parent to them as they became adults and started making choices that she would not make if she were in charge of their choices. Um, and she, she really struggled with her oldest son. Um, and, but she was noticing the more she kind of tried to get him to talk about what his plans are and how he was going to, um, you know, get set up for adulthood and all the responsible ways, the more she sort of had a conversation with him, the more he kind of, you know, pulled away from her. She was not someone that he wanted to talk about, talk to about like figuring out adulthood. And she really struggled with it because she, she, this was the way that she knew how to love him to show that she was so invested in him being safe, becoming a, a productive adult, um, that she was going to keep on him. And finally, as her other kids became adults and sort of figured out how to deal with her sort of grip in different ways, sometimes some, some of the other kids joked about it. Some of the other kids, you know, um, told her, like, I, I, I'm going to make a bad decision, but I'm not going to tell about it because I know you won't, you know, <laughs> you won't let me off the hook. <laughs> you know, so then she started to see, like, oh, maybe the most what I want more than feeling like my oldest son is going to take my advice. What I want more is to to know what he's thinking about. And he's not telling me because I'm not a person he wants to talk to. And she said, you know, what I wish I had said to him earlier on was, let's have a conversation. You talk, I listen. Um, and it's just so simple. But like, it, it completely would be a transformation in the dynamics of their family relationship. You know, she, she had been the one who had all the answers and was going to tell him what to do. Um, and this was instead saying, no, I really want to know. I really want to know how you're doing. You know, what, what's going on? I'll listen. And, and when you listen, it means if you disagree, you sort of hold back. You, you can have follow-up questions, but you take it in and you sort of Think about the timing of when you want to signal that you disagree. You, you, the objective is to understand what the other person is trying to communicate with you, right? Not, not to figure out who's right. Um, and I, when you go into a conversation with, with that sort of goal, um, uh, even even if you really you think this person you love is not making the best choices for themselves, like. You want to you want to learn a little bit more so that they don't immediately feel 
judged and rejected and that they're just going to talk to somebody else because you're not a person they want to talk to about this. In the conclusion of the book, you you write about this really, it's a hard thing. Um, And uh, you talk about your ex-husband and connecting with him after several years of little or no contact. And you say that the conversation that you had, that, that you both had this hard conversation, didn't really reveal anything new. And then you say that that was the point. Maybe tell that story because that that's a good one and what you mean about just that was the point. Yeah, that was like something I have thought about for a number of years. I, I had a first marriage. I was married um, for about four years and we split up when I was 30. And I didn't... Um, I didn't see it coming. And then when it was happening, I didn't understand it. And I worked really hard to keep it from happening. Um, we both did. went to couples counseling. We read the books. We had the conversations. And and I, I it's really what I, for me, in my own life, what what led me to to want to have a have a show about hard stuff because I was like, when that marriage ended, I was like, what just happened? Um, and I I felt like there was no longer gravity, and I didn't know my life was turning into a, in a direction that I I never anticipated. And I, um, you know, as I was as I was working on this book and thinking about like, huh, you know, um, what did we talk about it all? You know, I, this was, that was like, for me, the biggest, um, rupture, emotional rupture in my life up to this point. And, you know, I'm writing this book, I'm revisiting some of those memories. And then I think, you know, I, I, I need to interview my ex-husband. We need to talk about this together. Cause I, I don't, I want to make sure, um, my memory matches up with his about what happened. Um, and I wanted to know if there were things that we just couldn't couldn't talk about because we were too afraid. Um, and so I we sat down together and uh, I interviewed my ex-husband, which was very strange. <laughs> and we talked together. Um, and I, you know, it was one of those conversations where it was like, you know, do you remember this moment? Like, that was really hard, wasn't it? Like, how do you remember it? Yeah, that was really hard. We haven't had enough distance that we were, you know, there wasn't, we were open and sort of exchanging sort of freely our memories of, of what it has, what had happened. And I discovered like, oh, there wasn't like a, there wasn't a thing that we didn't acknowledge because we didn't know how to talk about hard things or we were too afraid. Like we remembered all of the sort of major points of the end of our relationship in the same way. And I, it made me realize like, oh, what was so hard about that time when we were trying to figure out our marriage was, you know, we were circling around that I wanted life to look a certain way, which was I wanted to have a house and kids and, you know, raise a family while we had career and he careers and he wanted something very different. He wanted to launch a creative career where he could sort of travel all around the world and um, needn't be as, as sort of focused on stability. And it was so hard for us to just look at that um, fact that we wanted different things um, that like, it, it, what I what I think happened is is for me it took a long time to be like oh I am learning something really important in hard conversations with my ex I'm learning that we want something different um, and that's 
that's the conclusion of these hard conversations. That's what I learned. And so re- revisiting it with him in interviews, in, in an interview later, was like, oh, yeah, there was something we missed. It was hard to talk about that stuff because what we were talking about was hard. You know, it was sad. Um, it wasn't wasn't what we thought was going to happen when we got married to each other. But um, it it like it made me feel a lot more compassion for ourselves. Like, oh, sometimes the a, a hard conversation can end, and not with a resolution or agreement, um, but instead, oh, um, we can stop talking about this now. Now we can like we can accept what we're learning. We're learning that 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 um, our lives need to go in different directions. And I think that that's that's what I learned from the hard conversations way back when we were splitting up, and then revisiting it and saying like, oh, we did a good job trying to talk about this, and and we actually did get to the conclusion, which was um, it made sense to split up. Many of my audience um, can reflect on you know, perhaps a long past and um, subjects like death, sex, money, family, and identity are all part of that, uh, you know, long history. And I wonder if you could tell us from from the book, which one is the hardest thing to talk about and, and maybe give our audience a sense as to how to make that less so. Oh, well, I think that the thing about these big five things is they're all hard in very different ways. Um, and I think it very much depends on what's going on in your life in that moment as what's the hardest. Um, you know, I think, for example, like uh, uh, money is is money is, is hard, I think, for many Americans to figure out how to talk about because we have such little practice Um knowing how to talk about it with our friends, our coworkers, our partners, like we have we have difficulty separating um sort of money as a tool, uh, as a as a material fact versus all the feelings and values that we infuse with it and how that's very, you know, comes up from from culture and how you were raised. And so that's always hard. That's that's hard to talk about. Um but uh like family is very different. It's hard to talk about for very different reasons, which is like, um, you know, family, there's these, du- there's this, there's this tension in that, uh, you you are coming from a similar, a, a, a shared origin. You share history together. Um, there's like a kind of expectation of, of an ability to understand one another. And then also built into the experience of family is growing up and separating, um, Anyone who's been a parent knows that, like, the experience of parenting is having this child that you were in charge of raising and then figuring out how to let them go out into the world. <laughs> um, and so the thing I try to do in the book is to say these 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 big five things are hard for hard reasons, like like but but the conversations about them can be easier when you don't um, why they're hard. And then you don't have this expectation built in that you're going to be able to make them um, to fix that 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 the puzzle of what makes them hard. For example, I think many times we are talking to someone who is in grief or experiencing grief. Those conversations can go really poorly if one one of the participation is going to is trying to make the other person feel okay or put the loss into perspective or say 
like, you know, um, you'll feel better in a couple of, you know, whatever, whatever the conversation about deep grief and how you move through the phases of grief and, and, or, or, you know, you'll find another partner, whatever the things that people can say when they're trying to, um, make the pain less, um, Instead, the most important conversations around loss and death and grief are when someone just sits with you in it and lets you feel that pain. Um, and so I think if you go into a conversation about death where you where you just like have the expectation like death is terrible. It is terrible to lose someone you love. And I am not going to be able to make this person feel better about that. But I'm going to try to show up in a way where they're not going to feel quite as alone. Um, so I, I think that that's my main, my main advice is, is um, you don't have to make these things feel easy uh, in a hard conversation. Instead, you can, what you do when you kind of reflect on what's hard about these things is you realize it's not just you. It's not just your a lack of skillfulness in talking about hard things. It's instead saying like, Talking about money is hard because, you know, if you get into dollar amounts, there's going to be sort of this moment of like difference being revealed that's uncomfortable. And that's hard. Um, same with identity. You know, the experience of being a white person in America versus the black person in America is very different. And there's no like just like talking that away. Instead, you can say this is different. And then you can talk about that uh, from that place of like, this is why this conversation um, isn't intuitive or there's some parts of this conversation that feel uncomfortable. It's accepting the hard parts, you know, what's hard about each of these hard things. Mm -hmm. Well, just as we were starting our interview together, we both acknowledged that um, the um, Derek Chauvin trial um, verdict was imminent. And certainly about 15 minutes ago, Chauvin was found guilty uh, of murdering George Floyd. Hmm. And um, I think we can all say that, you know, people people matter despite these hard conversations. I, I wonder if you want to comment on any of that. What do I want to say about that? Um, it just makes me, um, I the main, the main thing I think is like, Oh, I wish I didn't have to be alone in my house right now. Mm. Um, I wish I could be with my coworkers in a newsroom or with my friends or mm -hmm. somehow, you know, this is a this is a gaping, oozing wound in America. Mm -hmm. um, and this verdict is uh, another plot point. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to over the next few days, just like continue, just just have conversations with people in my life about what it is they're feeling as they're taking it in, what it is that they're thinking about. That's what it makes me think about. Well, thank you for that. Well, just one final question for you, Anna Sale. You're, you're such a great interviewer. Any questions that you think are important to ask me <laughs> in this? Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Turn hmm. those tables. Let's see. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like... uh well, like when you thought about what you wanted to bring to people who listen to this show, what you wanted to stir in their minds that they wouldn't otherwise have stirred, um, what, what, would it, what did you think about? 
I think initially what I thought when I first started, because it's changed a little bit, I think initially what I thought about was um, I, I was laid off work. And at age 58, that was that was tough. I wanted to get into conversations with people about um, getting back to work at a at a later age. Many people had been laid off at this particular time who were my age, and they were having a hard time mm-hmm. kind of finding work. I myself went out on lots and lots of job interviews and didn't didn't get a thing. And um, I thought, well, maybe I'll talk to people about this because it was it was hard. It was really hard for me to go through, but um, it was, I think, a lot harder for, for others. I, w- I was lucky in a lot of ways. Since then, I found that um, there are a lot of people my age that are feeling this need for connection and for um, uh, just almost... Uh, dealing with some of the isolation in their lives that they're feeling and um, and supporting one another, mm-hmm. whether that's through great books that we can read together or film or other cultural uh, interests, um, news items, all of those things now kind of get grouped together for me. And I get to talk to really great people like you about about some of these, these issues that I think that are affecting uh, my age group, um, affecting our country, affecting families, um, affecting grandparents. And so for me, I wanted to get into um, some of these, you know, uh, moments in people's lives where they could pause a little bit and <laughs> find out kind of what was coming at them and how they might deal with it and um, how they might... Uh, do that uh, better for themselves. And so the the title for me just kind of came together too. You know, it was, you know, look, I'm not old. I'm, I'm better in a lot of ways. <laughs> I'm not, you know, perfect, but I have certainly uh, still a lot to offer. So I think that's kind of where it's, uh, you know, it's kind of taken me a lot on, a, on a journey and brought me here. That's so cool. I mean, I will say, uh, I don't know why this is, but when I think in my life of who have been the models of how to, um, for like resilience and humility and kind of, um, Mm -hmm. the people that I want to talk to about, you know, when I, when I was figuring out I'm pregnant, how am I going to be a mom? (laughs) How do I do it? You know, or, or how, how, how do you go through this or how do you do that? Like, it's been the older people in my life and I have found <laughs> quite, quite older. One of my best friends is 89 <laughs> and I just, uh, treasure, treasure that experience of being able to, um, I don't know, kind of learn, learn from someone who's been through it and, and not just like in an advicey, I'm going to sit at your knee and have you tell me how to do it kind of way, but just to, to have deep friendships with people, um, later in life is like, you know, for one, I mean, there's so many good stories you get to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Absolutely. There's a lot of stories. Um, a lot of stories. Yeah. (laughs) I, I just, I, I want to tell you one thing. Um, cause I, when I think about another really cool, older woman in my life. I have an aunt um, who has been through a lot in her very exciting, adventurous life. And she taught me right when I was getting divorced um, that she came up with a phrase for when she was going through, going through a moment of just like, oh, here's another hard thing. Um, she she learned to call them AFCOs. And that, that stood for another 
frickin' growth opportunity. <laughs> so when something fell apart that she wasn't seeing coming, oh, here it is again. <laughs> An AFCO. Great. Which I just love. <laughs> I love that too. That is fantastic. Well, good. Well, that, I'm going to highlight that in the show notes because that's a, that's a helpful tip. <laughs> She didn't say frickin' either, but I'm going uh, right. to adjust. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering that. I was thinking that uh, it, as you were mentioning it, too. <laughs> well, the book is wonderful. Anna Sale, the title is Let's Talk About Hard Things. Anna Sale, host of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money, has been our guest. Uh, the stories are emotional, but they're very meaningful, and your time has been... Um, has meant so much to to me and to our audience. Thank you very much for all your work. Good luck with this book. And gosh, have fun with your kids and with your family and uh, and have fun on this show too. Be, have, fun, have fun on your show too, because it means a lot to us that you're doing it. Oh, thank you very much, Paul. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Anna Sale for joining me today. And my thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe, practice smart social distancing, get the vaccine. <laughs> and talk about better, the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.